One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. Screen time, screen time, screen Hello and welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming from Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Deborah, And I'm Katie. And I have three kids. Tony is 12 and Libby and Nate are eight. And I have two kids. Jay is six and Kenny is three. And today we are joined once again by Julia of the Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous podcast. Every week on Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, Julia talks to friends about a different pop culture property, how it influenced them, and what they love or hate about it. You may remember Julia from our Mitchells versus the Machines episode, and we recently guested on an episode of Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, which compared the 1994 movie Little Women with the 2017 modern remake. This totally inspired us to do our own review of a modern movie that rethinks a timeless classic. So of course we were excited to hear Julia's thoughts. Welcome, Julia. Thank you. I'm excited to be back. I actually really love chatting with you guys. Same. We love chatting with you. Yeah, we're so excited. Well, just to get this out of the way, we always like to tell a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are, because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. So Deborah, do you want to kick us off with a cute kid story? My kids have been playing the Christmas Carol Jolly Old St. Nicholas together on baritone, violin, and piano, and my heart hurts. It's so full with love for this. I love it so much. Oh, I am so jealous of you right now. (laughs) Your day will come, Katie. Oh, no. Side note. So Julia, you don't I don't know if I mentioned this when we talked, but I teach a music class for infants to three year olds. But it has recently become apparent to me that I have managed to raise my six year old with zero sense of rhythm. (laughs) And I don't know how I manage that. Oh, my God. So I don't know if old St. Nick is in our future. (laughs) That's poetic in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So I don't know if you remember, but a couple episodes ago, I was telling you that Kenny did not know how to do a thumbs up. And instead, he just pointed his little index finger up because he was confused about which finger was which. (laughs) And uh, he has mastered it. He now knows the thumbs up and it kind of makes me a little sad. And I also realized that when we were at CVS for Jay's second vaccine dose and they were like running rings around me and shrieking because that is what counts as behavior in public these days. (laughs) (laughs) And Kenny stopped because he had run a million rings around me and turned to me and said, I'm dizzy that not only does he know how to do a thumbs up, but he can now say dizzy and he no longer says I'm busy, which is what he used to say. And it was so cute. That is really cute. (laughs) So two, one, two punch of realizing the passage of time. Yeah. (laughs) How about you, Julia? Do you have a story for us from the wilds of teenagerhood? Oh my gosh. So (laughs) listen, 
there are moments in teenage I think the last time I was here I shared a good story I have an, mm-hmm. I have a, I have an annoying story <laughs> I had I had a webinar at 8 a.m my son doesn't drive yet bless his heart and I was like we have to, we're not morning people we have to leave by this time I have a webinar at eight it's gonna take 30 minutes easy because they're doing construction on the road that work is on like we cannot leave late I am sad to report that we left later than we normally leave (laughs) because the dragging of the feet. And then of course I'm in the car, like I'm going to be late. I'm so frustrated. And what could I, should I have nagged you? What could I have done better? Please respect my time. All the things it ended up working out. Okay. Cause they started five minutes late to accommodate people who showed up late. like thank you but in the moment neither one of us are morning people so in the moment it was like I worked very hard to wake up at 5 30 and eventually get out of bed on time to leave the house you could do the same yeah oh that's hard it's so funny because you have these series of realizations as a parent as they get older how much of a human they're becoming but then like there are these stumbling blocks where you're like oh my gosh can you please fit this last thing into place and be like a considerate human yes (laughs) yes even like the dishes I was like can you wash the dishes that you at least used and he's like no (laughs) who are you where's my sweet boy (laughs) oh (laughs) well should we jump right into screen time in the news to make ourselves feel better sure all right so we have an article to discuss today but it's mostly just an excuse to discuss this new show that is on that i think maybe deborah is the only one that has watched julia have you watched it no but i did read the article okay so there is this new show on tbs and i'm actually going to pull up the article on my phone so i can say the exact name of the show there's this new four-part series airing on tbs called harry potter hogwarts tournament of houses and it's a quiz show specifically for harry potter trivia and it's like very elaborately themed it's being hosted by dame helen mirren she's a dame right Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Who weirdly was never part of the Harry Potter franchise. So like they had to shoehorn her in here. I am just so fascinated slash a little bit off put by the Harry Potter creep and how it's like just expanded into this whole huge blob of content. So Deborah, as the one among us who watched this show, what was it like? We've watched two. It's there's four of them. Thank Helen Mirren that there's only four of them because it's like the most boring television show I've ever watched. But my kids are huge Potterheads. My husband read all of the books to them and I haven't watched all the movies or read all the books. So I think if I thought I knew the answers, I might be a little more into it, but they're it's so boring. I don't recommend it, but I think if you've read all the books and seen all the movies, you might get more out of it than me. The one redeeming thing about it is that it has everybody who's on the show, who's a contestant is at least like high school age. And so it's fun to hear why people are into it. And there was even like an older gentleman who's like, definitely didn't read Harry Potter as a kid because he's too old for that. And like his, he said that his wife was a school librarian and that's how he got into it. And so some of those stories are cute. Dame Helen Mirren is amazing. Um, 
they have some weird guests like Pete Davidson, I guess, is a big Potterhead. <laughs> That's so random. So He's random. Super random. So if you're looking for more Harry Potter content in your life, I guess I would recommend it. But I didn't enjoy it. <laughs> but we're going to watch the last two for sure. <laughs> well, one of your three is a really big Potterhead, right? Is it Libby? Libby is the biggest, yeah. but um, my boys also have read all of the books and think that they could easily win this quiz show. Julia, where do you stand in the Potterverse? I'm going to get kicked out of every club because I'm going to officially say this publicly. I'm not a Harry Potter fan. That's fine. Is it just like, is fantasy not your genre or is it something specific to Harry Potter? You know, I never, I just never really got into it. I grew up in a very conservative Christian household. So anything that was fantastical wasn't really, unless it was religion, which is kind of fantastical in a way. Um, sorry. Um, wasn't really a thing. Like we could watch never ending story. Like that was okay. We read the book that was okay. But like Harry Potter wasn't, I don't know where the disconnect it maybe because of wizardry. I, so, and then we did, I did read them with my son when he was the appropriate age and he really enjoyed them but then he grew out of it like he's not a diehard his aunt is a diehard like she ordered the books would wait would request same day delivery would you know do all the things and that just is not my story yeah I don't think we will be checking it out Jay and Kenny's exposure to the Potterverse has been pretty limited so far and I really liked the books as they came out I saw mm -hmm. the movies and thought they were fine, but like, I guess I just don't need to engage with it beyond that. <laughs> yeah. And this, the questions are like for people who have read the books like multiple times and done like close readings wow. and like rewinded scenes from the movies to catch all the details. It's way too, I'm not that detail oriented. Very specific. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I won't be watching it. Deborah. I hope you enjoy the final two installments with your children. Thanks. <laughs> All right. One quick note before we get started on our major topic. We are taking a week off for the holidays. So look for our next episode out on January 12th. Happy holidays, everyone. And speaking of holidays, today we are reviewing 8-Bit Christmas it's a streaming only movie that released on HBO Max on November 24th. It's rated PG. It's the perfect runtime. It's 90 minutes. The movie was directed by Michael Dows, who directed Take Me Home Tonight. So he gets some 80s cred. What If and Goon. And this seems to be his first kid-friendly project. It was written by Kevin Jakubowski. And the movie is an adaptation of his own 2013 book of the same name. And I haven't read it, so I'm not sure how much of the Christmas story parallels are present in the book. And it's all about, takes place in the 80s. The frame is that Neil Patrick Harris plays present day dad who's like telling this story to his daughter about one Christmas when all he wanted was a Nintendo and he worked super hard to get one and it was just really difficult so mirrors the little kid um, wanting the bb guns in a christmas story 
We picked it because Netflix has dominated our holiday season picks for a few years now. They always have a big Christmas movie, um, splashy debut, and we're giving HBO Max a shot. The trailer made it look very explicitly like a Christmas story for people like us who were kids in the 80s. Um, So it was definitely made for parents our age to share with their kids. I'm not even sure to what extent it's possible to talk about this movie on its own without also talking about a Christmas story, but I thought we would just give it a shot right off the bat. See if you can divorce your feelings about this movie from your feelings about that movie. And just, Julia, did you like it? I really wanted to because I love MPH so much, mm-hmm. but it just, it left, it left me unsatisfied in so many ways that it was just like, oh, come on, HBO. We know you can make great content. Like what happened? Deborah, how about you? I kind of the same as Julia. I really, I thought the trailer made it look super awesome. I think it was very formulaic, which Christmas movies are formulaic, but this um, like was maybe too predictable. Mm -hmm. It felt very generated in a lab to make us feel nostalgic for the 80s. And it Mm -hmm. didn't feel charming and organic. And I will get into more of that when we talk more about the comparison to the Christmas story. But it totally suffered from trailer-itis. Didn't you think that like all the good moments were in the trailer and then you watched the movie and you were like, oh, I just saw all of this in a one-minute trailer? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And two, sort of trying to pivot around like the attitude of the 80s and then acknowledging that the attitude of the 80s was archaic like the way they handled that felt clunky to me katie i think you nailed it on the head it just didn't have the charm and the warmth yeah you're right i mean to a certain extent every movie is crass like it's all an attempt to get our dollars and our eyeballs whatever we know this but it helps to not feel it it helps to not feel it so explicitly (laughs) yeah yeah Were either of you video game kids in the 80s? Did the whole like really wanting a Nintendo aspect of it ring true to you at all? My brother was obsessed. And I remember when (laughs) Sega Genesis, the first one came out and it was, it was almost as if they absolutely somebody was in our house for that conversation because the conversation between the parents and Jake felt very real about how like, they're going to ruin your brain or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, say in same with when Nintendo, um, do you remember the pad that they made that you could dance on? Yeah. yeah. When I that came out, yeah. that's it. <laughs> that was a big conversation. And it was a, it was just, a, it was a big deal getting a Nintendo in the house. My parents absolutely did not get us a, Ninten- a super Nintendo. That was the other thing too. It was supposed to be 1988 and he had a super Nintendo. So I kind of had a hard time getting around. Or was it a Super Nintendo? Are you sure that wasn't an original Nintendo? I never had a Super Nintendo, Nintendo, so I don't know. (laughs) And maybe it was an original Nintendo, but my cousin had a Super Nintendo. So I was like video game adjacent. So anyone I needed, anytime I wanted to play a video game, there was somebody in my life who had a video game console that we could play which was nice. And they didn't make you wait outside with all the other neighborhood kids and bring gifts to get in just to watch them play? No, nobody wanted a gourmet sausage from me in order to play video (laughs) games. 
How about you, Deborah? Were you into the Nintendo at all? Similar to Julia, my brother had a Nintendo and it was like the family's Nintendo, but I just wasn't that into it. Yeah. Although at the very beginning of the movie, when Neil Patrick Harris and his daughter are playing this old Nintendo, I think they're playing Paperboy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which I do remember. I think I played it on our like a computer with a floppy disk. Though. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's a thing. I, I was going to say, I just loved, <laughs> you have to blow on it. You know, you have to, and she's like, why? And he's like, I don't know, dust or something. I was like, okay, we've all done that. Yeah. Okay. And there were these nice, charming touches. And I just, I mean, we'll get into it more. I wish I could put my finger on why some of them were good and some of them were like, okay, man, that's enough. You can stop. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So are you ready to get into the Christmas story of it all? Or do you have any other specific thoughts to the movie? outside of comparing it to the Christmas story. I did get emotional at the end, but I also have to preface that with, I'm also deeply emotional right now because my child is a senior in high school. So everything makes me cry. Yeah. All right. So a brief background on a Christmas story, as if you guys have never seen it, it's inescapable this time of year. So I can't imagine a world in which you haven't. But a Christmas story is a 1983 movie that is actually set in 1940 and it's about a little boy named, named Ralphie's quest to get a Red Rider BB gun for Christmas, even though his mother and everyone else insists he'll shoot his eye out. You know it because it airs for 24 hours on Christmas Day on TBS. And I feel like leg lamp merch is everywhere this time of year. Inescapable. It went from being like this niche thing on a high shelf at Spencer's Gifts to like being <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> This movie, 8-Bit Christmas, was very explicitly billed as a Christmas story for a new generation. So it's almost impossible to not think about the two together. What is your history with A Christmas Story? Did you watch it a lot as a kid or is it part of your Christmas tradition now? Uh, Julia, why don't we start with you? So... We didn't really, I'm trying to remember if in the house I grew up and we actually watched it or not. Again, conservative Christian parents, but at my grandmother's house and my aunt's house, we 100% watched it all the time. Like they just, it was just on, I don't, it's just wild to me now when I think about those women and (laughs) who they were and how much they love this movie. And then we do, um, the 24 hour cycle, we'll catch it when it's on. We don't sit down as a family to watch Christmas Story like we do with some of the other holiday movies, Um, but it's definitely in the rotation. If it's on in the background, we don't turn it off. Deborah, how about you? I had never really watched it in its entirety, I don't think. Wow, this is going to be fascinating. I I can't wait (laughs) to unpack all of this with you. (laughs) All right, so let me take you into a little bit of my delusion (laughs) and I'm I'm coming to accept that it is in fact a delusion because every other member of my family denies it and I am the only one that believes it to be true so I I guess I must be wrong like there are quite a few other people in my family but okay so every Christmas Eve we sit down and watch a movie as a family and it's been this way for years like before marriages before kids blah 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 
And I maintain that like we used to switch it up. And like some years it was Miracle on 34th Street. I have a very specific memory of one year it being Fred Claus. But every other member of my family insists that it is and always has been only a Christmas story. Everyone else insists this. So I guess I am wrong. <laughs> so my point being, I've seen a Christmas story a lot of times, and it's apparently part of my unmovable Christmas tradition, at least when I'm with my parents and siblings and whatnot. That's funny. So I think I proposed 8-Bit Christmas as something to review for our like holiday movie this year. And when you wrote back that we should compare it to a Christmas story, I wasn't sure why. <laughs> Did you miss the point in the trailer when they were like, a Christmas story for a new generation? <laughs> now I get it. Okay. <laughs> um, so I guess, Deborah, you won't have an answer to this, but do you think, Julia, that we needed an update? I'm going to go with no. <laughs> so I rewatched it today just to get a refresher because, you know, you, you, you all reach out and I'm watching it. And I'm like, okay, sure. Okay, sure. There are some things that you're just kind of like, okay, that's a little cringy. But again, it's like 1980 something based in the 40 something. So you give a little leeway, but I just don't, can I, can I go here now? I just don't think that if you're going to do a reboot, you do it like, or you do, you do something similar in the structure of a Christmas story. 8-Bit Christmas was not it. Mm -hmm. Yeah they missed it. Maybe the writers didn't un have the same affection or watch a Christmas story in the amount of times that maybe you and I have, but there's definitely something there that you're just like, no, you missed it. You're trying, but you missed it. And you can see how they're trying, especially with the whole, you know, the video games are going to rot your brain or whatever the phrase was mm -hmm, repeatedly mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And it's like, that's not funny anymore, but you'll shoot your eye out is hilarious the entire time during a Christmas story. Um, I did. I have watched it now, Katie. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I, I will side, I I'm going to say that I'm on the side of like the a Christmas story could use an update just because I think it made me uncomfortable to watch a movie where a kid was like obsessed with getting guns for Christmas. But the boomers who are the generation of parents that a Christmas story was made for, like that is what they reach for and think about in their childhood. I actually asked my parents if they mm -hmm. remembered when the first time was they saw a Christmas story and they did not remember but my dad said that it was very true to life that everyone always wanted guns for Christmas. But I just think there's this very specific sense of cultural nostalgia for that time period. Like, maybe not so much the post-depression, but like definitely like the World War II era in America is not accurately, but by a lot of people looked at it, maybe the last time we had a true monoculture. Mm -hmm. Whereas the 80s... The, I don't feel like we culturally grope for that. Yeah, I agree. Because the whole time too, you know, the in the 80s setting of 8-bit Christmas, this whole mindset of, you know, these video games are going to rot your brain and they're going to ruin your whatever. Fast forward 40 years-ish, 35-ish years, and the same kids who grew up on video games are now the parents of kids playing video games. Whereas in A Christmas Story, you know, we don't really have 
toy guns in the same way that our parents had toy guns, right? Like they're, to- they're, they still exist, but they don't exist in the same way. You know, the Nerf gun aisle looks different now than when I was 10. Whereas there was no Nerf gun aisle when my dad was 10, it was BB guns all the way. Like that was just the thing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, that's unfathomable because we didn't grow up that way, but with the Nintendo conversation or with the video game conversation, like we didn't stop playing video games. The video games just became more of a fabric of our culture and evolved in a way where they're everywhere. Candy crush, you know, Angry Birds, whatever it looks like, not necessarily Xbox and PlayStation, but video games are now everywhere in a way that Words with Friends is a video game. So it, it, it kind of didn't really hit well for me because I'm thinking, well, I still play video games in a way. Right. I've evolved in my video game playing. So whereas I haven't evolved in my Nerf gun playing, right? Like those <laughs> days are done. <laughs> yeah, it's not as charming because it's not as removed from your real life. That's that's a better way to say it. Thank you, Katie. <laughs> no, I like that a lot. I think that makes a lot of sense. Because as, despite the 80s-ness of it all, you're right, video games are still very much a going concern in a way that maybe BB guns are not. Yeah, I can't. E- you can't even find BB. Like, you have to alter BB guns now. I don't know about other states, but in California, it's very clear it's a BB gun. Like, they do things to it so you know it's not a real gun. Whereas in A Christmas Story, you wouldn't know that that's not a real gun. Mm-mm. Right. Speaking of the Nintendo versus the BB guns, were there specific moments in this movie, 8-Bit Christmas, that you thought were straining for the same endurance as something like the leg lamp or the image of the little boy sticking his tongue to the flagpole or that iconic terrifying Santa visit what do you think the creators of 8-bit Christmas are hoping that will stick in our heads like that or possibly nothing yeah was the bully at the top of the snow pile part of it was that supposed to be one of those universal playground situations I know the whole point was that he was supposed to be so much larger than the other kids and essentially look like an adult, but he looked too much like an adult. It it took me out of the, the fantasy of it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I kept thinking, why is this high school kid in elementary school with mm-hmm. these kids? The other thing too, well, I mentioned this already, the whole, you know, the video game chanting thing about like, it's going to rot your brain or whatever the phrase was that felt like it was trying too hard to be you'll shoot your eye out and then the um spoiler alert I guess when they're chanting or like when they're trying to get into the kid's house to play the NES before anything really starts to build like that felt like they were trying to do something with that but um I, I don't know it just didn't it just didn't hit for me it just felt like you're trying too hard you're not cool <laughs> When I think back on this movie, granted, I watched it only a week ago. The one image that stays with me is, and again, spoiler alert, is that tiny dog being crushed by that giant 1980s television. Yeah. That was really sad, actually. (laughs) I can see that sticking with some people. Yeah. 
I did appreciate how, so in a Christmas story, like I loved how the mom's scarf looked like it was a hand knit scarf, right? Like that felt like very forties to me. So I do appreciate that in 8-Bit Christmas, the 80s style felt spot on because because that's a conversation my son and I have all the time because people have 80s themed parties. And he's like, did people really dress like that in the eighties? I was like, I don't know, let's go watch Say Anything or 16 Candles. And you know, that's kind of my gauge, right? And so I felt like, June Diane, the the one that the woman that plays the actress that plays the mom, June Diane Raphael. Thank you. Her outfits, I was like, okay, I feel like you were in my mom's closet. (laughs) They were so, and the hair was really good. It wasn't too eighties. It was like a normal amount of like you're an average Midwestern family in the eighties. It wasn't like overdone. So I really appreciated that aspect too. Um, and then I also appreciated just all the puffy jackets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I think we had that puffy jacket, Jake. Why do we have the same puffy jacket? <laughs> so I do, I do think they did a really good job in that respect in the costume design because it wasn't overly done. It wasn't trying too hard to be eighties. It felt very natural. Like this could have been our home, you know, our, you know, these could have been our outfits too. Right. I will second you on that. Definitely. It didn't feel fakey. Like wedding story ish or, or no, yeah. wedding story wedding, wedding singer wedding singer because <laughs> with a christmas story too the costumes feel very 40s like i like the like i said the hand knit scarf that's the biggest one for me where i'm just like gosh i don't even think my grandparents had store-bought scarves ever because right. that's you know the generation so I, that i liked that those kinds of touches in a christmas story so i appreciate that they brought those touches in eight bit christmas There are so many moments and just like throwaway lines that I interject into maybe not everyday life, but still fairly, fairly often from A Christmas Story, like that scene where the little brother puts on his snowsuit and he can't, it's too small for him. (laughs) So he just goes in this adorably nasal voice, I can't put my arms down. And I say that all the time. (laughs) Or like when the father is opening the box and it says fragile on the side, but he's like so pleased to have gotten this gift and he thinks it's so special and he says fragile come on (laughs) who do you know who hasn't said that at least once in their lives I do not see anything from 8-bit Christmas crossing that line and becoming quite that ubiquitous I agree and it was weird that they made the kid allergic to SpaghettiOs like as being the like that I thought was when they brought that I was like okay that's clearly coming back later but how like how are you gonna make this work and then I just thought that was a weird it was just I don't know it was was gratuitously gross yeah and also how do we shoehorn one more like obvious 80s reference in Mm -hmm. without a real purpose right right I tried to give my kids spaghettios a while ago like just as a fun nostalgic thing they hated them I tried too, and my kids did not like them at all. Yeah. We've moved on as a culture, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask, can you, you can even still buy spaghetti? I was like, I don't know the last time I saw them in the grocery store. Oh, yeah. You can, and they taste exactly the same. They're oh, probably well, from the same lot. Like, yeah. they just relabeled the cans. <laughs> well, that's probably why the kid's allergic. <laughs> How do you think the story plays different 
in the hyper-consumerist 80s as opposed to the post-depression 40s. Julia, you mentioned the whole like appealingly uh, homemade look of the 40s stuff that made it look really rooted in the time. I guess what I'm getting at is what is your feeling about 80s nostalgia? I always... (laughs) I love 80s nostalgia, but I love it when it's done right because I love it when it transports me back to feeling like a kid. And, you know, my grandparents had a farm way out in the country. And so if it takes me back to feeling that carefree moment of running through almond orchards, then I think they've done it right. And it just, for me, like everyone's interpretation of the 80s is a little different. And I think as we get further removed from it, people aren't necessarily people who weren't necessarily present during the time aren't necessarily interpret interpreting it in a way that feels natural and true to that feeling you had when you were a kid and free and like come home when the lights the street lights come on kind of stuff and I know kids who grew up in the early 2000s sort of say the same thing but it's not the same it's a completely different vibe because we hadn't it had really any major tragedies happen yet I mean yes tragedies happen but not in the same way as like the early 2000s and so there's a moment like and I think that's probably part of the reason why I'm so dissatisfied with this movie is that it didn't capture like how you feel when you watch Princess Bride which isn't based in the 80s but it came out in 1986 right and so or even just any John Hughes film even though he's problematic but that's not the point the point is is it doesn't capture that moment of like this was sure a complicated era but it had this sort of freedom and feel to it that doesn't really exist anymore that is a really good point julia deborah i know you sit down and watch home alone with your kids every year i can see sitting down with that with my kids to be like this was the 80s versus Mm -hmm. like sitting down with them to watch something like this just seems like a pale simulcrum. That is not a word I've ever said out loud. (laughs) It seems pretty weak in comparison. There we go. (laughs) Yeah. When Julia was um, talking, that made me think about stranger things and how Mm. that really nails that feeling of being a kid in the eighties and like the Steven Spielberg romanticization of that time period um and this did not achieve that maybe that's why it's streaming only and not in theaters I think that was and- more a byproduct of COVID than a, okay. <laughs> than a decision to make it stream because one of the big production companies had like an exclusive deal with HBO I don't oh, remember okay. the details I think it's yeah. Warner Brothers I think but in um to add more to it I was when I was thinking about how a Christmas story because you don't ever see grown-up Ralphie he's just telling the story and he's telling it from his you know memory bank and feeling very nostalgic about being a child and the frustrations and all those things and they tried to do that with Neil Patrick Harris except they show us Neil Patrick Harris talking to his daughter and for me that kind of also didn't land well because it's not the same type of reflection because he's not telling the story to us. He's mm-hmm. telling the story to his daughter. And in a Christmas story, grown up Ralphie is telling the story to us. Right. So he's directly talking to us and giving us those memories and that feeling he had, whereas we're living through, we're reliving it through with Neil pa- NPH's daughter. And it just doesn't, he's not telling me the story. He's telling his daughter the story. So why am I invested? 
Mm-hmm. Right. And there's that extra level of separation because actually the man who's narrating a Christmas story is the author of these radio plays and stories like they are as far as I know about his life or a romanticized version of his life so um, it is very explicitly his story in a way that I know the movie A Big Christmas was based on a book that was fairly true but the man who wrote the book is obviously not Neil Patrick Harris Mm mm-hmm and the only movie that successfully does that for me is a princess bride when the grandfather comes in and and reads to the grandson they they that vibe is so good Mm -hmm. and i don't know if it's because of the director and the actors or the way that you know the um abridged version of a princess um a princess bride is or what have you but it's done in such a way that you feel like you feel like you're there with them as opposed to eight bit christmas where you're just feel like you're watching them I think it's because Fred Savage was such a good actor when he was a child. Also true. (laughs) Such a cutie patootie. Yeah. And here with like the references to like the daughter's Instagram, it did just feel like another shoehorned like, can you believe kids these days? (laughs) (laughs) That was another hurdle for me too, how he was like, you know, oh, she wants her own cell phone. And I'm thinking... I mean, I don't, I don't know what other people have done with their kids, but you know, house phones aren't really a thing anymore. And when my son was like 12, none of his friends' parents had house phones and they wouldn't respond if I texted them on their phone. So then it was like, out of necessity, you need to have a cell phone because if I can't get a hold of their parents, I need to get a hold of somebody. And it wasn't like a fancy smartphone situation or anything, but it, we're also talking like 2013, um, 2014 but still but still it was like he had some version of a mobile device because of necessity with the way that our lives were so it was hard for me to also wrap my head around she looked like a tween so why wouldn't a tween have a cell phone by now you know that's part of our culture now right Mm -hmm. well we've a little bit gotten into the nph of it all but maybe we should step back and do a comparison between Jake and Ralphie they aged up the character so Jake is supposed to be 11 Ralphie I think in a Christmas story is only maybe nine like what did you think of Jake versus Ralphie did you think that Jake was as compelling a protagonist I know <laughs> I did like the I did like the ensemble kid cast in 8-bit Christmas especially the twins they were love twins. super cute <laughs> I love twins and their birthday was on Christmas and I have twins whose birthday is on Christmas Eve you better believe I oh, stopped yeah. the movie to tell my friend that as we were watching I'm like my co-host <laughs> is gonna mention this her twins were born on Christmas Eve <laughs> I thought the kids were great but there, nobody in the cast was as iconic as the young actor who plays Ralphie yeah I agree I feel like the ensemble was really great and they did a really good job casting there but none of them had the same he Ralphie wasn't charismatic but he had this very innocent kid-like wonder and the and, and no one really had that in the ensemble yeah it felt a hair too polished mm-hmm. I thought we what about the parents? We had Steve Zahn and June Diane Raphael as Jake's parents. 
I'm going to tell you the name of the actors that played Ralphie's parents, even though I don't think at this point they're household names. So it was Darren McGavin and Melinda Dillon. What did you think of these 80s parents as compared to the 1940s parents of A Christmas Story? Julia, you want to go first? Steve Zahn was kind of triggering I mean, I hate to say that, but it was true because sometimes the way he said stuff, I was like, oh, this is why people hate boomers. <laughs> I have boomer parents. I'm sorry. Um, but there was just very like, there was just some moments where I'm just like, that feels too real. I don't like it. <laughs> but he did such a great job. And I love the actress. I love some of the stuff that she's been in. And it was nice to see her not be, because I feel like she gets typecast. um, Like she plays, you know, the same character all the time sometimes. And I felt like she probably had more to offer. And I, and I see, and I see that in 8-Bit Christmas with her. So I really appreciate that. But yeah, Steve's not, I was, there were moments where it's just, I can't right now with you saying that it hurts. Like I'm 10 again. (laughs) That's interesting that you say that because I feel like in A Christmas Story, the mother and father are such archetypes of what a mother and father of that era are. And mm-hmm. I kind of struggled to see that in the mom and dad in 8-Bit Christmas. Deborah, what did you think? So the dad in A Christmas Story appears to me to be like 20 years older than Steve Zahn in 8-Bit Christmas and is it just because he's wearing a suit do you think (laughs) possibly (laughs) possibly maybe maybe see and I never I never really picked up on that because my grandparents were old parents so you know they were like in their 40s when they started having kids so that never was it a thing but if something like that happened now, then I would be like, hold up. Why are you so old looking to have a 10 year old? <laughs> Which isn't fair because, you know, people have children at all ages. But we talked a couple episodes ago, or maybe it was just our last episode about the tendency of modern kids movies to uh, tack on like a moralistic oh, yeah. uh, ending. And I don't know, did either of you feel that with the whole father son bond denouement of 8-Bit Christmas, how it all wrapped up. I felt like, yes, A Christmas Story was a little bit how Ralphie learned to understand his dad and his dad proved that he understood Ralphie, at least a little. But it was not quite so explicit. Whereas in this Mm -hmm. movie, I felt like they really hung a lampshade on it. And I'm not sure that landed with me. So that's where I felt unsatisfied because the whole movie is about getting this Nintendo entertainment system and how desperately he wants it. Same with Ralphie, right? With the red rider BB gun or whatever it's called. And, and then he's like, go behind the shed. And it's a um, tree house. And I'm like, listen, no, you're supposed <laughs> to finally understand what your son wants and give him the Nintendo entertainment system, not a tree house. Like, yes, the tree house is beautiful and it's got all these great memories and it's a great childhood thing and all of that stuff. We get it, but you're supposed to understand your son and get him the NES. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But also, don't you know that video games are bad for you? Like, <laughs> we know, guys. We know. It's all about fresh air. It's okay. You yeah. don't have to get your kids that video game system. 
and I hated that I hated that I was like yes you do you cannot make me sit here for an hour and 30 20 ish minutes watching these children go to great lengths to try and get a Nintendo entertainment system and then tease us with the gift from the uncle in Japan or the aunt in Japan the relative in Japan and then it's a light bright which yes thank you but also no like I was just like you have got to be kidding me yes yes let's bond we get it give them the nes (laughs) and we don't need that we us gen x and elder millennial parents like we don't need you to do that we already love this movie about this nine-year-old getting a gun like we (laughs) contain multitudes and we can hold in our heads the idea that maybe video games are rotting our children's brains and that they make really good christmas presents at the same time We can do that. Have more faith in us, your intended audience. Yes. I did cry, though. I mean, obviously. (laughs) There's all these memories happening, and I hate you, 8-Bit Christmas, because he didn't get the NES, but also I'm crying because it's so sentimental. I'm so annoyed. I haven't lived up north for a really long time, but that scene where he's running out of the mall in Chicago, this whole movie takes place in Chicago. I don't know if we've said it takes place in like the suburbs of Chicago. He's running out of the mall and he slips on a patch of ice and just like wipes out on the curb outside the mall. That really spoke to me. That was a heartbreaking scene. (laughs) Yeah, it was. That moment and the moment that the dog was crushed by the TV were the two moments that I was like moved to shout at the screen. (laughs) Which is another reason why the end was so unsatisfying. Do you have any thoughts about the writing of the movie? I thought that the, I thought it was fine. Like I liked the dialogue. Um, I liked the, I liked the family scenes, like, especially when they're sitting around the dinner table and that rang really true. Like the parents were just so out of touch and the little sister was so annoying (laughs) and Ralphie just wasn't heard by anybody. Not Ralphie. um, Oh, that was telling Jake. (laughs) Jake. (laughs) So I thought, you know, sometimes we watch things that um, just have been through the Hollywood machine a little bit too tightly and I wonder what the original script looked like maybe it wasn't so formulaic I don't know hmm were either of you able to compare this to an adult movie or show well I thought of course about the wedding singer like all the other 80s shows and about strangers that stranger things which like you were saying Deborah I think did this a lot better yeah I did I didn't I didn't I was so I was just so upset with the ending. I couldn't get past it to think about anything else. And also, I did kind of feel like, did they cast Neil Patrick Harris in this because of How I Met Your Mother? Like, are they winking at this by having him telling the story to his daughter as the framing device for this movie? In which case, mm-hmm. I roll, I roll. I don't mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now that we know, like now that Neil Patrick Harris has been living openly as a gay man for a long time I also struggled seeing him married to a woman I was like that's not your truth NPH <laughs> I mean I know it's acting and do you but it just 
I don't know if either of you follow him on Instagram, but I do. So that's ingrained in my head and how adorable his family is. I just see the Halloween photos every year. That's enough to give me yeah. envy. <laughs> yeah, it's they're just the cutest little family nugget. So but I guess part of me is like, wait, where's where's your husband, not <laughs> wife? I don't know. How about you, Deborah? I mean, Stranger Things, I have a high struggled because what are the Christmas movies that are meant for just adults? I feel like Christmas movies are mostly for family-friendly yeah. fair. What Bad about Santa Four Christmases? Oh, Is that Four Christmases. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah. Is that for Sarah Jessica Parker? It's uh, Reese Witherspoon and Vince Vaughn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. that's definitely not a kid's movie. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Speaking of Sarah Jessica Parker, Family Stone oh yeah that's the one I'm thinking of yeah Yeah. that's a good one and bad Santa is another one too that's 100% not for children guys I've never seen it what Katie Deborah I know you love it and I just it's just a hole in my cultural knowledge mostly based on the fact that I really don't care for Billy Bob Thornton I mean fair and then the sequel to Bad Moms, Bad Moms Christmas. Oh yeah. Oh, I haven't seen any of oh, Bad I'm, Moms it's, movies. It's, it's not. It's not. Really okay. <laughs> I was so irritated. I spent three ninety nine to rent it. I was like, I should have just waited for it to be free on TV. <laughs> but you know, it's got a Christmas vibe and Catherine Hans in it. So if you're into Catherine Hans, she does do a fabulous job. Were either of you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? Julia, you've mentioned really liking June Diane Raphael, and she is married to Paul Shear in real life. So I think I would have liked to see a version of the mom and dad played by the two of them. Yeah, I didn't know that. That would have been fun to see. I did. I cast the friend group, but as adults. <laughs> Because yes, I was I love like, it. Bring it on. yeah, it was like, um, I need them to be grown ups doing dumb stuff. So I did um, Seth Rogen as Jake. Because I think that would be hilarious. <laughs> and then Lena Waithe as Tammy Hodges. And then Chris Red from S- Saturday Night Live as Teddy Hodges. Because he does sometimes a dopey character on SNL. So I thought that would be funny to see. And then I said Donald Glover as Mickey Trotter. Oh, yeah. And Kristen Bell as his sister, as um, um, Jake's sister, Lizzie. Oh. Yeah, that would be good. I like that. <laughs> and then I said I wanted John Cena as the bully. <laughs> Those are excellent casting choices. I yes. love it. And a much more believable age range between the protagonist and the bully. <laughs> yeah, and I actually had somebody else written down on my list, and I thought, no, I think he's 15 years younger than everybody else on this list. <laughs> I have to scratch that. <laughs> Um, I, I really enjoy Neil Patrick Harris and Steve Zahn as actors. So Mm -hmm. I would cast them along with John show as three dads who are searching like the black market for vintage video games, sort of like a, um, bachelor party movie, but like dads in like a heist movie I think that would be really fun and then they would encounter like a gang of bitcoin bros who try to outsmart them all right Debra you win because this sounds amazing and I want to watch it right now (laughs) and also it reminds me of one of the few really funny moments in 8-bit Christmas which was when they went to buy a counterfeit Kevin (laughs) Cash doll (laughs) that was that was a funny bit yeah (laughs) 
I agree. It was fun. Cause there was always that person on your street. Who's like, I can get you what you're looking for. I don't know if that's your guys' experience, but that was definitely ours where it was just like, you need, what do you need? I've, I've got a guy. You have a guy? <laughs> like, <laughs> Target sold out. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm jealous. We never had guys. <laughs> <laughs> so was it better when we were kids? Katie, I think I know what you're going to say. Julia, like you were saying, a Christmas story is problematic. There are things about it, but it, it's still the better movie, I think, hands down. I agree. I agree. There was something about nostalgic filmmaking in the 80s that is captured. It's hard to do that now, and I don't know why. I don't know why people can't seem to figure it out, and so it makes me sad because, you know, Gen Z is obsessed with the 90s, but they're doing it wrong. <laughs> It makes me cranky and I'm like please don't start making movies about the 90s that are like not historical fiction because you're gonna do it wrong (laughs) yeah there are good Christmas or holiday movies being made today but this this one just doesn't touch the classics from the 80s I don't think Mm -hmm. agreed so would you ever watch it at Christmas alone voluntarily no part of me wonders if like no like I was gonna say maybe if you give it more time I'll feel more nostalgic for that time period but I just I'm just against this idea of creating a thing specifically to be a holiday tradition as opposed to Mm -hmm. it like organically becoming a holiday tradition so no thank you I will not Julia Yeah, I agree. I don't even think I would sit down with my seven-year-old niece to watch it actually. (laughs) Cause it was, it was a little, you know, it's just, it just, yeah, I can't say it better than Katie said it. I agree with everything (laughs) she said. (laughs) Um, Speaking of your seven-year-old niece, 10 seconds on whether this is good for kids. Yeah, we have good age ranges to discuss this. Julia, do you think your teenager would ever want to watch this? I think if I forced him, if I said, hey, let's do this for family film night, I think he'd sit through it. But I can't see him pulling it up on his own. Does he have any curiosity about like what life was like way back in the dark ages of the 80s? Oh, my gosh. All the time. Really? All the time. This kid, yeah. He, this kid is just all obsessed with the 80s and 90s music were to the point where I'm just like you're not allowed to like that that's mine (laughs) (laughs) that's so cute so maybe he actually would like it maybe I think I think I think if I said hey let's watch this for family film night I think he'd sit through it but I don't know if he would watch the trailer and and pick it up on his on his own but I think my seven-year-old niece would think it's hilarious just because all this, the sticky stuff that they do, you know, all the bits they do, I think she think she would find, they would, I think she would find those funny. Yeah, I watched it with my six-year-old. Well, I watched it with a three-year-old, a six-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a 13-year-old. And I can say that the 13-year-old is the only one that hung all the way through. <laughs> um, but yeah, there were definitely some isolated moments that entertained Jay. But he has no interest. Like, that may as well be you know 1900 for like as far removed from his life he does not realize that this has anything to do with the time period in which I grew up like he he doesn't connect it to anything like that yet so it just wasn't uh sustainable in that way 
Deborah, how about your kids? It was good for my kids specifically because the twins in this who have the Christmas birthday are, they portray that as like the worst possible birthday ever. (laughs) And we've really tried very hard to make it like seem very special to have a birthday that you get to share with your twin and Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I, there was this really funny scene where that the twins like get a bike that they have to share for like their Christmas and birthday present combined. (laughs) And so I liked that for my kids because they can see like how bad it could be, (laughs) how good they have it. That's nice. I like that (laughs) little piece of parenting propaganda there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that there was anything super objectionable in it other than the death of the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're concerned about it being safe for your kids to watch, I think the PG rating is pretty well-placed. Yeah, I'm, I curi- I'm curious to hear your ratings. Yeah. Julia, we rate things, uh, one to five, five being the best. I'm going to give it a generous three. You are the kindest among us. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say giving it a two was generous. <laughs> I laughed. I laughed. I would give it a, I'll give it a two, maybe even a 2.5. I laughed at moments. I'm not immune to poking fun uh, things at the eighties, but overall I didn't think it was a very good movie. So two. Yeah. The, I think the things that I laughed at weren't necessarily intentionally supposed to be funny. <laughs> Although that moment from the trailer, which listeners, you can just watch the trailer and get all this. Where he's yeah, the trailer ri- is really good. Yeah. He's riding his bike down the street and then his daughter goes, were you wearing a helmet? And he says, yes, I was wearing a helmet. We always wore helmets in the 80s. That was quite funny, I thought. <laughs> it was really funny. I did appreciate how they, t- you know, the Paperboy video game and then they merged it into his remembering. I thought that was really cute. Yeah, that <laughs> was great. I was so optimistic for the movie when that happened because yeah. it was yeah. right at the beginning. It was all fresh and new and it could have been good and then it wasn't. (laughs) Again, I did cry at the end because anything sentimental is just going to pull my heart out right now. So, Have you guys seen that commercial? I don't even remember what it's advertising, but of the like grandpa with the kettlebell that like he goes outside with a kettlebell kettlebell and he's struggling to lift it and he goes outside with it every day to try and lift it and his neighbors are all like looking over like what's going on is he gonna hurt himself and every day he goes to lift this kettlebell and it shows like the passage of time and he gets stronger and stronger and then at the end he goes to his daughter's house for Christmas and he can lift up his granddaughter to put the star on the tree (laughs) oh I haven't seen that but I'm crying I know. (laughs) So clearly when they want me to cry, I cry. (laughs) I wish I could remember what they were advertising so you guys could look it up. But I don't. Like those old MasterCard commercials, the priceless ones. Uh, Every time. (laughs) well thank you for listening to this episode of it's my screen time too thank you again to julia for joining us today julia where can our listeners find you and the pop culture makes me jealous podcast 
we are on Instagram. We, it's just me and my friends. <laughs> I just have my friends on this show, but we, we are on, on Instagram. Our handles of the same name, pop culture makes me jealous. If you find me delightful and think that I would be interesting to follow my Instagram is the Julia Washington. I, um, I, I probably live too much on Instagram. So that's definitely where you can, can find me or my show. Awesome. Well, listeners, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. You can check out our website at myscreentime2.com. We are also on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even Gmail at myscreentime2. Send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by Deborah and her adorable children, and our podcast is produced by me, Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye. Bye.